Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 16 here on the podcast, and we're fortunate uh, today to be joined by ESPN's Jay Billis. Jay, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast with us. Uh, Elliot Cliz, thanks for having me. Good to be with you guys. Well, um, I wanted to, I, for some reason, I don't know why I thought of you when they decided to do the early look of 16, um, but I always know you have a lot of good insight and takes on college basketball. And I'm curious to get your opinion. Uh, the The selection committee this year um, decided to unveil like their uh, basically their top four seeds in each region um, ahead of time. First time they've done this, and I wanted to get your take on that. Is that are you pro con? Any any feelings on that? I am pro, and I think they should have gone further or farther, whatever the right word is. Um, you know, I, I tend to think that they should release uh, each week. Uh, they should each keep a top 68 and, uh, and release their top 68, uh, in, in order of, uh, of what they think the at-large selection should be. I mean, I'm one of those guys that thinks it would be really good for basketball if we had more of this. And, and like, I think selection Sunday should be one week earlier and they should announce one through 68, the at-large bid that are going to go out. And then championship week should be only about the automatics and, uh, you know, like the big shots, the power of high schools, I think they should get additional bites of the apple to get quality wins in their tournaments. Um, people always say they want the regular season to mean more. So let's give the automatic bids, or not the automatics, the, uh, the at-large bids based upon the regular season. Mm-hmm. And let's make championship bid, uh, championship week about the automatics. And the example would be last year that Michigan at the end of the regular season would have had no chance to get in the tournament. They got in because they won in the Big Ten tournament. And I don't think they should be allowed that when little guys can't, you know, their, their tournaments don't do them any good at all. In fact, they hurt their standing. Right. Uh, so let, let's let's do that and make it, and then, you know, they could have the regular selection Sunday be the release of the bracket instead of, uh, you know, finding out who got in and, and not. Uh, I think that would be a much better way of doing things. Yeah, we've been in the Big Ten tournament a couple years. We won it one year, uh, last year, um, runner-up. And we look back and we always think to ourselves, boy, I don't think that did us any good. Um, I don't. I think it was all set ahead of time, and I don't think it moved as much in terms of seeding. So sometimes I don't think the, the, the postseason tournaments matter as much unless somebody goes in and wins it that's not expected exactly. to win and, and, and we've always said it's about the automatic bid, that everybody's got a chance for the automatic. But that's all it should be about because – I don't know, pick your, pick your team, Davidson or whatever. They have no chance of improving their standing at all. And, uh, or a smaller conference team. All they can do is hurt, hurt themselves. And like, uh, Monmouth would have been an example last year. Maybe Monmouth is a little bit, you know, they get in if it's based upon the regular season and a team like Michigan doesn't have a chance to, uh, improve their standing. Um, and I'm, I'm saying Michigan because it's an example from last year. I'm not right. putting on the Wolverines right. here, but. Right. Um, I just think I just think it would be much better to do it that way, and then that's the only way we can have any semblance of fairness. Because you know you're not going to be able to make things equal across 351 Division One teams with resources. So the the little guy's always going to be at a disadvantage uh, in that regard. And, but that's that's just business. That's just the way it goes. But we can do something about the fairness of of how we allow teams to improve their standing at the end of the year. And, you know, when, when folks say that they want the regular season to mean more, 
Um, what they're really saying without saying it is they want the tournament to be smaller. <laughs> and uh, but, but we've got this gigantic tournament that we keep wanting to make bigger, and the coaches want it bigger. And, you know, coaches seem to think that if the tournament were bigger, fewer guys get fired, and it's just not true. They get fired at the same rate. It doesn't matter how many teams make the tournament. It's just going to diminish the importance of uh, uh, of making the tournament the more teams that get in it. I think, though, we should talk about really the purpose of having 351 teams, and that is because of the slice of money that is generated. My problem, and has been for years, is these schedules that we have in the non-conference, with the exception of the uh, exempt tournaments, are really, in in most cases, really silly. Certain teams are... I agree. And I, I think we should get rid of them. I think we should... And I don't know how you do that without going to more divisions because these guys on the 150 out or 200 out or 250 out, that's where they get their money. That's how it's generated to run their program. So I don't know. And I don't know if there'd be excitement generated outside of those top 100 teams. But I'd like to see us, Power 5 uh, uh, conferences, and then maybe another 25 schools and we play all each other, and so you know you can you can lose twelve regular season games and still be in tournament. In fact, you could almost put everybody in the tournament, and and just go from there. That I, you know I agree with that. I think we need to make Division One smaller. And it's funny, like in football, Division the highest division, whatever they call it, the college football playoff thing, is one hundred and twenty teams, right, give or take. Right, right. And uh, and we've got three hundred fifty one. And one of the things that's really interesting is on the transfer uh, transfer thing in football. In college football, you can leave Purdue and transfer to Illinois State and be eligible right away. Right. In basketball, you can't do that. And that makes no sense. I mean, that sounds like it's absolutely open for legal challenge to say, wait a minute, why would you be able to do what, – what's the difference? Why would you be able to do that? Because it's a different sport. You know, they're all, they're all quote-unquote college students and quote-unquote amateur athletes. Why the difference in treatment? And uh, uh, that's exactly right. Like, look, you know, I don't think any reasonable person could argue that that 350 Division One teams is a good thing. It's not. It's stupid. And we need to we need to fix it. And you know, like, whether if you take Purdue, Purdue playing the non conference schedule plays, yet you have these home games against teams that you know uh, people aren't excited to see it. Fans aren't excited to see it. Um, no, they, com- they complain broadcast- about it. broadcasters. Yeah, they complain about it. You know, guys like us, honestly, if we're in our heart of hearts, we're not excited to do the game. We can't expect the players to be excited to play in it. Yeah, and, uh, and so like you know, like I'm I'm out of school thirty some years now. I'm fifty three years old. When I get together with my own teammate with my old teammates, we don't get sit around and talk about you know the games <laughs> played against New Hampshire. You know, they're like remember that game we had against New Hampshire? We don't care. <laughs> On December twenty eighth, talk about the big yeah the big games that we had. And uh, and that's the ones they want to play in. There's no reason the players expend the same amount of time, the same amount of energy in every game they play. So they might as well be be against better competition. It's, it's ridiculous not to do it that way. Yeah, and the other thing, Jay, too, is that some of these schools are playing 12 and 13 road games so that they can make the money to finance their entire program. And so you know their only hope of getting out of that thing is maybe two and 11. Most likely, zero and thirteen, and then they got to go into the conference season. I, I, I just, I understand the reason to do it, but it shouldn't have to be. It shouldn't have to be that way for those for those kids. 
And Larry, one other thing on that, you know, I, I'm I'm on record as saying that I think college athletes are exploited. They're not mistreated, but they're exploited. And but there's there's no bigger exploitation of a, of a college athlete than these smaller colleges that play all of their conference games on the road. And these players are on buses for two months straight oh, without playing yeah. a home, so that they can go out and make their school some money. And and it, it, it is there, there's something that's profoundly wrong about it. Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna march on Washington over it, and I don't I don't lose any sleep over it. I just don't think it's right. And you know, everybody says like all these administrators say, well, that's not what college sports is all about. College sports is about student athlete experience and it's about education and all this stuff. All right, well, then, <laughs> if you don't like the way the time college athletics is played, then play Division Two, and then because they're always telling the athlete, hey, if you don't like it, go pro. If you don't like it, leave. Well, how about if you don't like it, don't pay, and if you don't like it, play in a lower division? Nobody says that. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous the way we do business here and pretend like it's okay. I hear you. You uh, yay, yay. You, you just uh, hinted at a legal challenge. It's almost like you have a law background, um, <laughs> and, and I'm sure most of our our listeners know that uh, you do have a law degree and and are practicing. Do you still practice law, Jay? I, I don't. I mean, you know, there are a lot of reasons not to like me, but my being a lawyer is probably reason number one. But I was a I was a practicing attorney for a number of years, like eight, eight years or so, where I practiced full time as a trial lawyer, and then did this basketball work on the side. Uh, at least I refer to it on the side. And then I went full time. I can't remember nineteen uh, two thousand one or so. I, I became a, you know went to it full time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'm still with my firm. I, I have a designation now called of counsel, which mm-hmm. is a fancy lawyer's way of saying I don't do anything of value anymore. Um, <laughs> I go into my office every day that I'm in town, and I do basketball work out of my office. They're but, uh, using your name. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Yeah. They're exploiting. I you. don't know what they're doing. <laughs> hey, hey, look! If they're going to give me office space and keep keep throwing a couple bucks at me, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to dissuade them from Absolutely. thinking I have value. But I, I don't have any value to the firm. My uh, my wife is a lawyer too, so I I try to stay away from the lawyer jokes. That could come back to haunt me. Um, well, yeah, talk- my, my wife loves it when we get into an argument. Uh, we don't argue very often. When we get into a discussion, it's just say, don't bring that lawyer crap into the argument. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> don't quit trying to lawyer me here. <laughs> I, I'm guilty of sometimes I'll act like there's a judge in the room and I'll say objection, hearsay, and throw words out that I have no idea what they mean. And my wife and my, and my wife looks at me like I'm the dumbest person on the planet, and she does not. She refuses to stoop to my level. So, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about when you are we, like we are now in the middle of a season like this, how many games do you think you watch a week, and and in what on what mechanism do you watch those games? Um, I've never really thought about how many. It's it's in it's over twenty, maybe thirty or so uh, a week. Uh, I do a combination. I, I, I watch stuff that I've DVR'd, um, and then I DVR coaching shows because I like watching the features they do on players because mm-hmm. I'll learn something about a player maybe I didn't know otherwise from a, a feature on a coaching show. Yeah. Uh, most of coaching shows are to be, be fast-forwarded through because <laughs> there, there are only a few of them that are any good, but oh, the features yeah. are great. Yeah. And then I, uh, uh, I watch a lot of Synergy, which is a scouting service that yeah. every every college every protein uses where like i can go back and watch the last 20 out of bounds plays that produce run the last you know last 20 turnovers they've had or just if, if there's something i want to watch specifically or i can watch uh games to get flow uh feel of their flow or i can watch uh, certain defensive possessions or all their out of bounds plays it, it's really a, a a great tool to use 
And it's great for me because when I'm scouting something, I call it scouting, but when I'm watching something, I get to watch it to appreciate it. I don't have to think about stopping it. Like, how do I guard it or how do we deal with it? Yeah. I just get to watch it and appreciate how, how good it is and how well coached this team is in all their schemes and all that stuff. I don't have to, I don't have to contend with, oh, geez, who are we going to guard this guy with and should we trap the post and what do we do here? Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot easier way to do to do things. Another question I had for you, Jay, when and you referenced the, uh, the synergy and everything. Now you were on staff at Duke, and I know probably involved in scouting and things like that. Does it amaze you where we're at technology-wise? I mean, I'm assuming when you were uh, in the trenches doing the scouting work, then it was probably the old VHS tape. Uh, it was actually different from that. It was some VHS, a fair amount of it, and you remember how difficult it was to get tapes of opposing teams. Yeah. When I was a when I was I was a grad assistant, so I didn't I didn't have to do as much as the full time guys. But um, we had to, uh, you know, you could go out and scout opposing teams on the road. So so that in person scouting back then, and then uh, and then we also we filmed all our games in reel to reel. So we had a projector, film projector that we looked at. Um, so you know, after a game, we'd have to take the film, and that was part of my job. I'd have to take the film, drop it off, to get it developed, and then pick it up afterwards. Um, so that uh, that Coach K and the staff, we could all watch it after that. And uh, so it was much different back then. There, there's, you know, in one regard, the the way it's done now, you could say it's a time saving uh, device, but at the same time, you take more time because you can do more. Yeah, exactly. And so. Yeah, you can you can mire yourself in scouting and kind of take it too far if you're not careful, um, because the level of detail you can reach with all the analytics and the film that you can use, uh, you can over overdo it, and uh, and you gotta you gotta be careful and kind of check yourself on that too. I think. I saw re- recently where uh, is College Game Day 100th t- episode? Is that correct? Yeah, it's our hooked episode on uh, Saturday. Uh, where we've got Virginia at North Carolina uh, for Game Day. We started game. First broadcast was at UConn in Gamble Pavilion uh, during a, a blizzard, and uh, and it's uh, I can't believe we've gone 13 years and reached 100 episodes. It's, it's gone by in a flash. That is amazing. Now, do you prefer? Um, I mean, I'm sure you enjoy most of the, most of the stuff you get to do, but do you prefer uh, the game day experience, or would you rather be sitting courtside calling a game? Um, well, I, I'm lucky I get to do both. So I, I'm I'm here for game day and do the game, um, but like if if I had to choose, like you could you could do studio work or game game broadcast, I'd choose a game because I, I got into broadcasting not because I wanted to be a broadcaster. I got into broadcasting because I love basketball. Right. Yeah. And you know I could say this because it'll never happen. But if if they came to me and said, Hey, listen, we'll pay you twice as much money to golf, I would say no. Um, because I like I love basketball, and that's why I wanted to do this. I, I wanted to stay in basketball as a coach, and then uh, you know, I mean, I, I'd, I'd had thoughts and, and, and discussions about you know, doing front office work uh, at the NBA level, mm-hmm. but broadcasting is just too good of a life, and I don't have to move. I, I never lose, and it was just better for my family life, um, and that was a, one of the big reasons that I shifted toward that. But um, such a wonderful way to make a living, and I love the people I work with. I love the, all the people I get to to interact with, and uh, and the games are so much fun. I mean, it's uh, 
it's a joy. And, you know, sometimes the travel gets to you a little bit and your gut going, oh, my God, I got to do this, this, this. You kind of have to catch yourself going. Right. Don't take this for granted, man, because this is the coolest job in the world, and I'm lucky to have it. You know, one of the things that's interesting, though, in your case, uh, all, all the uh, color announcers, for the most part, are, or analysts, as we call them now, are either ex-players and they don't have to be great ex-players, just ex-players or coaches, ex-coaches. And there's been a lot of bad ex-coaches, have been analysts that have ended up being very good at what they do and been wealthy and it's been a great thing for them. However, you're in a position, you know, if you're at the high school level, it could be a used car salesman that could be the color announcer, you know, or the analyst. Hey, John uh, Jallo over here at uh, Jallo Auto Sales, what do you think of that play? And he said, oh, you know, they play good down there. It's pretty good, and everybody loves it. But at our level, you guys are in a position now. You are a former Duke guy and uh, also, the you know, arguably the best program there is. Now, what, what kind of, what kind of uh, when you have a Duke game, how do you keep your bias and I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean. How do you keep yourself from not being hard on Duke to prevent... To prove, to prove, to prove you're not biased. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. How do you do that? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think being 22 years in now, I don't even have a concern about it anymore. Um, early on, you tried to make sure that you, uh, you were perfectly balanced. Um, and I just have always taken the check of say what I see and tell the absolute truth and I'll be fine. Um, it, it, you know, I had a thing years ago where it's, I think it was 2001 where on ESPN we first started, they, they asked us to start making picks in games. So we got to the Final Four and we got, I think it was Arizona and Michigan State in one semifinal and Duke and Maryland in the other. And so I made it, they, they said, make a pick on the game. So they said, well, Arizona's better at this. this, this. I think Arizona's going to beat Michigan State. And then, uh, and then I said, you know, look, I think Duke's a team versus Maryland, but they've won twice and they, they had that miracle minute thing. And, I, got, I just got a feeling where Maryland's going to win. So Maryland got up 22 points in the first half, but they wound up losing the game. And I, I was asked to give a talk to a Duke alumni function oh my. that summer. And so an older gentleman stands up when it opens for questions, and he says, uh, I said, yes, sir. And he says, uh, you picked uh, Maryland to beat Duke in the Final Four. And I said, yes, sir, I did. <laughs> said, that was a bad pick. And I said, yeah, you're right. It was a bad pick because uh, uh, you know, Maryland wound up losing. And he said, well, that should teach you never to never to pick against Duke again. And I couldn't help it. I was like, well, sir, you know, if you don't mind, do you, do you pick Duke to win the championship every year? And he says, yes, I do. Well, <laughs> if you don't mind my asking, how, how old are you? And he said, I'm 67 years old. And I said, well, congratulations, you're 3 and 64. <laughs> and, you know, like I, I tried to explain to him, I go, look, you know, Duke's not always the better team. And sometimes, you know, there, there's going to be a team that you say, hey, they're better. And you have to say it. That's my job. And now, honestly, if, you know, maybe if Duke, you know, Coach K were struggling and trying to keep his job, maybe you'd say, well, geez, I got to throw something good in here. I got to say something nice here. Right. But you don't have to worry about that. I mean, you know, you just say what you think. And, uh, uh, you know, look, I don't care who wins. Um, I, I watch all these practices. I see how much these teams put into it. I'm always happy for the winner, and I always feel for the loser. But it's like a referee. Like, we do so many games a year. If I had a rooting interest, I'd never get through a game. I, I don't care who wins. And uh, I'm rooting for a good game. 
Like that, I'm rooting for a good, compelling game that people are going to watch and it's going to be fun. And uh, and that's what I, I want to have fun. I want the audience to have fun. Um, the competitors are hey, they're on their own. They can handle themselves just fine. And what I've always said though is I am absolutely okay with criticism. Like I don't I don't complain when I get when I get praised, and I'm certainly not going to complain when I get criticized. So if somebody has some criticism my way, I ask myself a couple questions: Is it right? Is the criticism right? If it's right, I deal with it. And is it reasonable? If it's reasonable, I listen to it. If it's unreasonable, I dismiss it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm stuff and I never worry about, hey, you know, I, I can't appear to be a homer. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Maybe early on I, I had to be mindful of it, but I don't, I don't need to worry about it anymore. Well, and I think that's in the, in this day and age, especially with, uh, with social media and, and access to you guys. I mean, there's a lot of ways people can get at you guys. I think it's the same, not only for, I mean, for broadcasters, but also coaches. It's all on how you take it. And if you don't let it affect you at all, if you let it go in one ear and out the other, uh, it's a far better way to deal with that instead of the guys. I've seen writers who engage these fans uh, on Twitter battles, and it's like nobody wins with this stuff. And I want to I wanna call them and be, will you just stop? Will you just stop talking to these people? Because some – some people on in social media are just irrational, and you're never going to win that battle, and it's not even worth fighting a lot of times. Yeah, and I don't deal with irrational now or unreasonable, but uh, you know, just for example, I had a back and forth with some Virginia fans recently after on Twitter after their game against Villanova, where the free throw disparity was like twenty four to five, mm-hmm. and so their fans were like, "This, this is uh, we got hosed by the officials. The officials are biased against us. They don't understand how we play." all this different stuff. And I was saying, wait a minute now, this free throw disparity, you know, Virginia is second worst in the country in free throw rate. Only one team in the country gets to the free throw line less than Virginia does. It is not the officials. It's the way they play. Right. And, and, uh, and then you're, you're trying to say, look, they've had four different games where the free throw disparity has been 26 to, to eight or five to four or stuff like that. That's called a trend. This yeah. was not a one-off. And, and so some people don't take it very well, but you're trying to educate them on, well, we drive, but you don't drive into contact and you don't, you know, like, no, you don't. And, and this, here's the proof of it. Statistically, this is not a statistical anomaly. This is happening. But the folks that are unreasonable, you don't engage too long with them. The folks that are reasonable and go, well, wait a minute. Okay. That, how about this? Um, I go back and forth all the time with this and usually it's really good. Um, but sometimes it gets unreasonable and then you have to, you have to make a decision. Do I want to, you know, some of the things I do, like, oh, there's a, a mute function on Twitter that yeah. I use yeah. because I don't, I don't want unreasonable people clouding up my timeline. Yeah. And so it's better that I just don't see it. I don't block them, but I just mute them so I don't have to see it. It's a lot easier that way. I have a few that I just, I just try to figure out what's going on in their life and why they have to continually bring up the same stuff time after time after time and you know I'm, I'm talking older people like myself and I'll be I'll be I'll be 70 in, in a few days and I and I mean these 67 70 75 year old people saying this and that and this and that and why can't they do this and why can't they do that and I'm just wondering you know why? I mean, why are you so concerned about what this team is going to do? I, I don't. I don't get it, really. Well, the same reason, though, that well, you're lucky you have yeah, them too. You're lucky you have yeah, that fan right. base. 
That's right. Their concern and their their passion is one of the reasons we're employed. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I'm, okay. I'm cool with all that stuff, and and you kind of go you kind of go back and forth on some of it. Um, but you like you know your question about sort of a, a bias issue. Um, you know, you do a game, and then the losing team always thinks you're biased. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you talk about the winning team more, and you try to explain. Well, one of the reasons. Well, first of all, you know. So you're saying it's my mouth that's biased and not your ears. You know, you're not you're not putting any anything on you. But um, but also you're saying, well, think about it for a second. Of course, I talked about the team that won more. They played better, and I praised the team that played better more. That that that's that's a natural reaction to what's going on. Um, so you try to explain it. Some people don't buy it, and then you can't you know you can't convince people. But you just make your case and move on. It's not, well, before we had all this stuff, I can remember doing an IU-Purdue game and Indiana came into Mackey and we had beaten them earlier in the year at Assembly Hall and were favored. In fact, that was 1984 when Purdue was co-champion in the league with Illinois. And Indiana came in here and smoked us. I mean, they beat us by 19. And and, and I decided that my, my ploy would be to, instead of saying Purdue at, was not playing well, my whole thing was that Indiana's really playing good. And I erred on that uh, side, and that's the most that's the most uh, comments I've ever received. And the negative was, you know, you love Indiana, and you know you could never be the Purdue announcer. And how dare how dare you, you give credit where yeah, credit's due? Yeah, yeah, it was. We lost the game, and they didn't win it. You know. Well, Jay, I want to talk well, to you, oh, Larry, Larry. When I one, one last thing, when I when I first started broadcasting, I did I was the color analyst for uh, Duke Radio. Yeah, and so I started doing those games, and and you know you do the same team over and over again. Um, you know, I didn't process early on that our fans, the Duke fans, wanted to hear only about Duke. Right, and I thought it was interesting to educate them about the other team that was was their plan. <laughs> and so I would talk, I, I would talk about the other team. Here's what they're trying to do, and here's this player. This player is really good, and this is the guy they got to stop, and all that. And you'd have people saying, "Quit talking about the other team. We don't care about the other team." Like, oh, sorry, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought it would be interesting to find out who were, you know, who the team is playing. You know, but, uh, you know, well, people true. people just want to hear their own their own shtick, and and that's fine. Um, maybe you have to do it a little bit differently when when you're uh, you know you're on a, a certain broadcast. I get it, but uh, but you know, I kind of do it right down the middle, and uh, and let and my my greatest measure is you do a game and half the people think you're for one team the other oh yeah and you're going okay well i probably did a pretty good job there though. yeah there and i go. have to tell you jay i'm in my in my career my thing was the reason i didn't go national other than the fact no one offered me a job was <laughs> and, and and your appearance yeah yeah appearance. exactly appearance and the fact that no one offered me a job which are two <laughs> major drawbacks but my thought always has and I'll tell you my greatest joy the two greatest joys I have in my business one when you go to a game you never know what you're going to see on any given night don't care how you look at it that's what's going to happen I mean you're going to see something most times you've never seen before or you could it, it, it's possible to happen that's what I like about it best but the but, but the second thing of being associated with Purdue for 40 years is that yeah you know I want to call a game correctly, and uh, but I want us to win. And and the greatest thing about it is, for me, and as a broadcaster, and of course, of being included with guys like Elliot and Matt, and, is that I feel the same thing they feel. So, you know, if we lose, 
you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and spend three hours and spin that game in my head before I go to sleep. If we win, it's the same thing because of a timestamp in there because you call it every play. So, but I find almost the opposite of you. I find my greatest joy is to be associated with one team because then I feel like I'm getting the same thing that they're getting. Yeah, and I can tell you that, that just the inside information, the reason that ESPN uh, decided against hiring you was they didn't feel it was appropriate for you to wear a Purdue hat <laughs> on the air yeah, uh, to appear you. unshaven and unkempt yeah, and to have food all over your clothes <laughs> while you're on the air. Uh, Not right. to mention the fact that you haven't paid your dues for the Indiana oh, there Association you go for again. 40 yeah. years now. Thank you. Oh, no Thank question. You. I had to bring that up. Jay, yeah. give us your thoughts on uh, <laughs> give us your thoughts on Caleb Swanigan and the year he's having. On what now? On Caleb Swanigan and the year he's having for us. I think if Caleb Swanigan were a guard, he'd be National Player of the Year without without discussion. Um, uh, he has had a magnificent year. Uh, he's had four games of of twenty twenty over you know twenty points, twenty rebounds. Uh, he's every time he steps on the floor, he's a double double. His consistency's been off the charts. He's shooting near fifty percent from three. Nobody can stop him. Um, I, I think he's the. You know, I, I was thinking early on in the season that Josh Hart and Frank Mason were were national player of the year front runners, but right now, uh, I would vote for Caleb Swanigan today. He has been fabulous, and uh, and it's been watching a big guy play the way he's played uh has been really fun for me to watch being a being a big guy myself and uh and i have a lot of respect for the the journey he's been on not that that gets you national player of the year but the consistent productivity and the fact that his team is where it's at you know the guards have been great like the purdue guards have been excellent Mm -hmm. but but they're not where they are without him leading the way he's been he's been not only as good as anybody i think he's been better than anybody uh, I want to ask you, too, before we get to the final four questions here, um, you have a tie-in with Purdue. Um, uh, you actually played for Coach Katie on a team, and you and I have talked about this several times, but but give us the quick backstory of your experience and a little uh, short stay here in Lafayette as well. Is that right? Yes. I played for Gene Katie on the U.S. Uh, US national team, the U.S. national select team in 1985. And uh, so we trained in, in West Lafayette for 10 days, two weeks, whatever it was. It seemed like longer. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 loved, I loved playing for Gene Katie. I would walk through fire for that man. Um, not only is he a great man, he's, he's a great coach. And a quirky, um, he did not know my name. Um, he <laughs> called me Bilas. He called me entire trip. And then for 20 years after that, and uh, and uh, I just I love that. A lot of my colleagues call me Bilas just because of Coach Katie. <laughs> and he had our, our first our first team meeting. We get the team together, and Tommy Amaker and I were, were on the team, and uh, uh, Troy Lewis and Todd Mitchell were on the team from Purdue. I mean, it's a great group of guys. They're unbelievable group of guys. And, and and Troy and Todd are two of the great guys I've ever known. Our first team meeting. Coach Katie's got a, a chalkboard with all the stuff written on it, like our practice times, rooming assignments, um, you know, meals. And then the upper right-hand corner of the board, it said team goals. And number one was win the gold medal, which made perfect sense. It was a great number one goal. The, the number two goal of our team was to fight communism. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, man, this guy is for real. And, you know, people laugh when I say that, but, you know, five years later, the Berlin Wall came down, and Gene Katie's the reason. 
<laughs> I love that story. I've heard you tell it a couple of times, and I, I love it every time you tell it. And I got to tell you, too, uh, I was the SID for a number of years, and I used to always correct Coach when he would talk, when he would pronounce your name, Bilas. I'd say, Coach, it's Bill. He goes, I know. I can't get it out of my head. And the first time that we... I loved it. <laughs> he told us, he said, you know, I handpicked this team. He said, my wife, my wife and I have a satellite dish, and we watch a lot of games. We watch Duke. We watch this. We watch that. And then, and then, right after that, he said, "Now, Bilas A Maker." He called Tommy Amaker A Maker, and I leaned over. To Tom, I leaned over to Tommy. They said, "Apparently, he was watching all those games with the sound off." Now, how about how about this, Jay? Though the first time uh, when he came here and we switched uh, networks, and their first time they introduced Gene Cady on tape back in those days. And it was a post-game show. I said, now here is the Gene Keedy show. He looks at me like someone had just stabbed him with a 40-inch knife. And then just, <laughs> just kind of turned his head and said, Keedy, Keedy, what are you talking What? What's going on? <laughs> so, yeah, he, he'd mispronounce a lot of people's names. But, boy, don't mispronounce his. Wonderful man. Just a wonderful man. Okay, well, we'll get to our final four now here with Jay Billis. And, uh, Jay, our first question is, what is your go-to music of choice? I listen to a lot of hip-hop, so uh, I'm a big Young Jeezy fan. Uh, but I also am a huge Rolling Stones fan. Wow. I've been listening to the Stones since I was a little kid. So my, my musical tastes are, are quite varied, but I would probably go Stones and, uh, and Young Jeezy. What's your favorite Stones album? Um... My favorite Stones album is Exile on Main Street, I would say, is probably the best one. Cool. But I wind up listening to all the, the, the live stuff now. Uh, I, I listen to mostly Stones live. Yeah, I've uh, I read Keith Richards' book, Life, absolutely phenomenal. I've seen him a couple times in concert. They are wonderful. Um, okay, uh, favorite, best or favorite book that you've recently read? Best or favorite book? Um, Life of Pi was really good. I saw the movie, but the book was really much better by Jan Martel. It was a really good book. Outstanding answer. Okay, what profession other than the one you currently do would you like to do? And uh, this is a question like you could wave a magic wand and do anything. You don't have to have training or anything like that. I would love to be a judge. Um, I think it would be really cool to sit on an appeals court or, you know, like love to be on a Supreme Court to, to handle some of the weighty issues that come your way and to hear to hear lawyers make um, make really good arguments um, I think I would really enjoy that that'd be pretty cool uh, what is one final question what is one thing that nobody knows about you or very few people know about you when I was in high school um, I grew up in Southern California in Los Angeles one of my neighbors was Chuck Norris and wow. uh, he had a karate studio near the bowling alley uh, right down the road from where I grew up. And one of my, one of my best friends, his father, was, uh, was the technical consultant for um, the, the show called The White Shadow, which was really popular in the late 70s. Yeah. And I, I was on The White Shadow uh, along with my high school teammates. My, my high school team, was we played one of the opposing teams in one of the White Shadow episodes. So I was on The White Shadow when I was in high school. Outstanding. Well, um you talk about uh, you talk about Chuck Norris now. Do you get a kick out of the Chuck Norris jokes that go around the internet? Oh, I love those things. Uh, yeah, one of my one of my favorites is uh, is it's got Chuck Norris. If, if your phone 
your phone rings and it's Chuck Norris, you have two options, answer and answer. Yeah. <laughs> There's the one, uh, Chuck Norris's tears cure cancer, too bad he's never cried. That's, that, that, I think I think that's my favorite. But, you know, those those Chuck Norris uh, lines, uh, yeah, we, get, we were on the road. You started, we right? were on the road one night, and you know how it is in the middle of a season. It's you know January, February. You know everybody's sleep deprived, and it's the night before a road game. And we we're in Coach Painter's room, all watching film, and you know it's one in the morning, and we're slap happy. And I pulled my phone out and started reading off these Chuck Norris jokes, and we laughed so hard, and they were so stupid. But we it was one of those moments on the road in the middle of the season that uh, everybody. Everybody had a good good laugh at the Chuck Norris jokes that we told that night. So, well, greatest ever. They, they, they got to have Gene Cady jokes like that because that, that, the only guy tougher than uh, Chuck Norris is Gene Cady. <laughs> there you go. That I like that. You may, we may be onto something. Yeah. Well, Jay, I want to thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. We uh, we're a big fan of yours. Always great to see you on the road when we when you call our games, and uh, just really enjoy watching all the work that you do. My pleasure, Elliot. Clear. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jay. Fans, that was our. Boilermaker Basketball Podcast, Episode 16. Jay Billis, our guest. Until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm